Hey, it's Mistress Carrie reporting for duty from MCHQ for episode 59 of the Mistress Carrie podcast. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Digital Federal Credit Union, better known by all of us by now as just DCU. And whether you're driving off the lot or refinancing, DCU can help you save on your next auto loan with rates as low as 1.49% APR. Let me say that again. Rates as low as 1.9% APR. You can learn more at dcu.org slash auto. Insured by NCUA, membership required. Log on to dcu.org slash auto. This episode of the podcast is also sponsored by Jumptown Skydiving. If you have always wanted to check skydiving off of your bucket list, then why not do it for the first time at America's oldest skydiving drop zone? It's easy to get to right off of Route 2 in Orange, Massachusetts. And Jumptown is open seven days a week to make it convenient for you to get an appointment whenever you're ready to jump. But if you work in the service industry, Jumptown understands that the weekends aren't free for you because that's when you make your money. That's why they offer service industry discounts on Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays. You can make a tandem jump for as low as $185. And if you want to bring a group of everybody you work with, for every person you bring with you, you get 10 bucks off your jump. You bring 10 people with you and you jump for free. Imagine being on a plane two and a half miles above the earth and the door opens and you jump out. Log on to jumptown.com for more details and to call and make your reservation for your tandem skydive, call 978-544-5321. Okay, this week's episode is kind of hilarious because I melted his phone with the rock. Dan Murphy is the lead singer of the band All Good Things. They're based out of Los Angeles, and originally the band got together so that they could write music for licensing in places like films, television shows, and video games. But their music took off online, and they decided, you know what? Let's record an album, and let's go on tour. Their new album is coming out later this year, but their hit song, For the Glory, is in the top five on the rock charts right now on the radio. And they're headed out on the road with P.O.D. and From Ashes to New later this summer. I talked to Dan about a lot of stuff. And at first, the interview started while he was in his car. And you'll hear about halfway through the interview that he gets cut off. He gets cut off because his phone was melting. This is a Mistress Carrie podcast first. I was able to get him back on the phone after a few minutes, although I cut a lot of that silence out of the podcast. But we talked a lot about his love of the L.A. Kings, and we talked about the Stanley Cup and the Cup guy. We talked about him growing up in Montana, his aunt and uncle running the famous studio Electric Lady Studios in New York City, what it was like to move to L.A., how he kept himself occupied during the lockdown, and the songwriting dynamic within the band. We talked about a lot of other stuff, too. And you'll be happy to know that Dan Murphy's phone is definitely not dead. He was able to bring it back to life. If you want to learn more about the band and check out their music, the links to find Dan, All Good Things, and the link to the corresponding playlist for this episode are all in the show notes. Dan was really cool, and I can't wait to meet him when he's out on the road with P.O.D. So allow me to introduce you to Dan Murphy from All Good Things. Hey, what's up? This is Sully from Godsmack. Strap on those boots, baby, because you are now in the trenches of the war room with the one and only Mistress Carrie right here on the Mistress Carrie podcast. What's up? This is Joe Rogan, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. I have so lovely pretty eyes. Hey, this is Brent from Shinedown, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hey, Carrie, go put your brow on, girl. Hey, this is Steven Tyler, and you'll be listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. What's up? This is Aaron from Stan. And you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hi, everybody. This is Dave Grohl from the Food Fighters, and you're listening to the one, the only 
Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is David from the band Disturbed. You're listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. Hi, Bruce Dickinson here from Iron Maiden. Yes, indeed, Miss Whiplash herself, Mrs. Carrie, is here to um, unchain your brain. Hi, this is Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. You're listening to Mistress Carrie. This is Dennis Leary. You are listening to my favorite, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is Corey from Stone Sour, and you're listening to... You have the privilege of listening to Mistress Carrie. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. What's going on, Mr. Murphy? How we doing? I'm doing really well. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Appreciate it. Um, you are, for anybody uh, that, that can't see you like I can, you're sitting in the car. Are you driving? <laughs> what are you doing? No, I'm not driving right now. I'm uh, I'm actually just kind of writing with some buddies right now. I'm at a, at a studio, so I just stepped out in my car. So, uh, so we can do this interview, and they could kind of keep rolling with, the, with what's going on in there. So, uh, yeah, appreciate you having me on the show. It was awesome. I um, I find it hilarious that bands will write and record and produce amazing music in multi-million dollar studios. But correct me if I'm wrong, then you guys take those songs out to the car and listen to them in the parking lot, don't you? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think that's like the main place you check out <laughs> your music at first, you know, on first listen, you know. I'm always introduced to so many uh, new songs and around in my car and... And unless I do most. Wait, hold on. Whatever you just did, I think your Bluetooth in your car just clicked off on your microphone. Oh my God, I'm sorry. All right, let's repeat that. I'm sorry. Is that better? Yeah, yeah, you're fine. Don't worry. We're not that professional of a show. So just keep talking. (laughs) My bad. My Bluetooth's been giving me hell. I I actually, to be honest with you, I dropped my my, uh, AirPods down the sink about a month ago and they haven't quite acted right since. So uh, (laughs) it's my fault. I need to replace them there pretty soon. But, uh, no, like like I was trying to say was, uh, you know, I'm introduced to so many new songs and bands and everything while driving around in my car. I do a lot of writing in my car while I'm driving around. I think it's just a great place to kind of leave the studio and, uh, you know, put your head in a different space and kind of test out what you've been working on. And uh, honestly, we do a ton of mixing, too. Like Andrew does a lot of the mixing and he'll test it out in his car all the time and make tweaks. And, you know, it's actually super helpful. So, uh, yeah, the car is a great tool, honestly. What what kind of car are you sitting in right now? How good are the speakers? Oh. Oh, dude, this is the ultimate party car. This is a Ford Fiesta. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, yeah, <laughs> only the best speakers in this car, baby. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I drive a Fiesta just for the party. Um, I've it's only done one interview so far where the per- – no, actually two. I've done two interviews where the people were actually driving. Uh, one was <laughs> one was last summer, and it was Tommy Vex, who used to be in Bad Wolves. And the other one yep. was more recent, and there's a tie to this band for you. Um, I interviewed Sully from Godsmack because he was driving from Boston to Florida. <laughs> no way. That's awesome. He, and he was driving himself, too, huh? Yeah, and he was screaming <laughs> at people like the mass hole that he is on the highway. So <laughs> I, is it true that that was your first concert, your first rock concert was going to see Godsmack? You know, it's it's not true. It's actually funny because I, I didn't see Godsmack. I just got to meet Sully backstage. I was actually at an Aerosmith concert, which is one of my first shows ever. And luckily, my aunt and uncle who had been in the industry got me backstage and I got to meet the band. And uh, And Sully was sitting there next to my mom and I knew who he was. So I was terrified. I was like in high school or maybe even younger at the time. And my mom's drunk, kind of like talking to Sully, like, hey, you in a band or something? I'm like, shut up, mom, mom, you're embarrassing. You know, it's like probably one of the more embarrassing moments of my early childhood, you know, right when I'm starting to start a band of my own. I was just like, shut up, mom, quit talking to Godsmack. Like you're live tweeting, my mom is drunk and hitting on Sully. You know, I can't blame her. You know, it was exciting. We were all excited to be back there. We're all from Montana, too. So being backstage at a big show in Denver, it was like a very eye-opening experience going backstage and meeting all your idols and stuff. You know, it's definitely a, something you can't forget. It was epic. And you're surrounded by Bostonians, which being from Montana can be a little bit of a culture shock. Speaking for myself, my a fellow masshole, like we, we've been told <laughs> we've been, we're a little abrasive. Yeah, you know, I, I, I've got some some masshole relatives and stuff. I, I think you guys are pretty all right. You got you got family <laughs> in Massachusetts. Where are they? I do. Uh, I haven't seen a lot of my dad's side in a while, but I do have some in the East Coast, Connecticut, Massachusetts area and stuff. But it has been years. My grandma used to live out there. She passed away, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, yeah, we've had some some family out there. It doesn't surprise me. The guy named Dan Murphy has family around the Boston area. 
<laughs> yeah, you'd think, you know, I mean, it makes sense, I guess. Not the most original name. Is Thanks, a, Dad. He's a good Irish boy. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Daniel Ryan Murphy. Doesn't I, get more Irish. I uh, I really appreciate you talking to me. I, I've been playing your music a lot on on my show, and I think your story is such a strange story about how the band came to be because normally musicians are like in the garage with their friends from high school and they put a band together playing for their friends and trying to get girls in high school. You guys put this band together for a complete, wait, what are you drinking? This is a yerba mate. Actually. I'm Ooh. just been obsessed with uh, drinking teas all the time. Look I know you. it looks like a beer. I'm just drinking a pint glass in my car, but <laughs> it's like my studio thing. I, every time I write a song, I go to the studio. I'm usually drinking yerba mate. I think it helps you focus. And uh, I don't know. It just helps me for whatever reason. Maybe it's just in my head, but I've helps never, me get that creative juices flowing. I've know? never even heard of that. What the hell is that? It's just like a green tea. I think it's like a South American, like root or tea tree plant or something like that. But uh, yeah, I just started, you know, my buddy works at a coffee shop and he just gives me a bunch of free tea. So I've just been brewing it all the time and bringing a, a ton to the studio and a pint glass and everyone makes fun of me for it. So I'm glad you caught on to that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So I just totally like sidestepped the whole question. But you guys started this band with a totally different kind of mindset and, and, a, and a different goal. And then it turned into a bit. Can you just tell me how this all happened? Yeah, for sure. I mean, going back to what you're saying, you know, starting a band in high school and wanting to meet chicks and just be a cool guy, you know, that was obviously what we all started doing. We all started <laughs> playing music and uh, I think sixth grade, I started my first band in Montana and, you know, everyone else has had their bands growing up. And um, Wait, what was yeah, the I band mean, called in the sixth grade? My first band ever was called Flatline. And my second band ever was where we started writing our own music instead of just doing like, you know, rock covers at school dances. When we started doing like our own stuff, we changed it to Driven Under. So that was my first like high school uh, rock project. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I started doing that. I did a little bit of touring, like a DIY MySpace kind of touring back in the day with that band. That turned into another band, into another band. I moved to L.A. with them. That's how I met our drummer, Tim, and our bassist, Miles, who's actually our guitarist in All Good Things. He plays both. And uh, yeah, so now it's kind of like my old band almost meeting Andrew and Liz is my new band. So it's kind of a cool way we all came together. Um, but yeah, I mean, basically, All Good Things was like never that band where you were hustling and trying to play shows and just, like you said, meeting chicks and whatever. It was just, hey, let's go in the studio and bash out some music that we want to license to film and TV and, you know, like games, video games or whatever. And um, yeah, it was just kind of... Uh, Honestly, for me, going back to my youth and like my childhood and the music that I loved growing up and really screaming and doing heavy stuff. And, um, you know, Andrew and Liz's influences are, you know, a little different than mine. And I think that's why we kind of have this cool mesh of different sounds coming out when we're always in the studio together. But, yeah, it was just really never the intention to go on tour and make this band, a, you know, a, a, a touring real band. You know, it was literally just having fun in the studio. We put music out and never really thought about it until a couple years passed and we were like you know let's see if anyone's listening to this online it, you know check spotify for the first time i think there was a million or two on fight and get up some of our first songs and we were like holy crap man this is like reaching more people than our bands that we're pushing you know behind the scenes you know my other projects while i was doing all good things so it was just kind of a shocker we're like i mean pe people want it and they kept messaging for more and more and asking where we're from and you know when we're going to get on stage and play in our town we're just like I mean, we never had any intention to do so, but like once we saw that demand and saw the fan base grow and getting all those messages, it was like, oh, how can we say no? So, um, yes, booked a few shows. Our first show was at the Whiskey, and and it was kind of like the bug. We kind of caught the bug and haven't wanted to slow down since. And um, shortly after, uh, signed a Better Noise and, um, you know, put out a, our own album, Machines, right before that. And it just really got this crazy momentum with Further Glory, and it just kept growing and growing. And, uh, you know, here we are now. It's for the glory on the radio. And, you know, thank you for spinning it and having me on here. This is all just it's all been a crazy blur the last couple of years. But, uh, yeah, just super happy that people are willing to listen to what we're making. man. it just blows my mind. I can't believe it. Uh, prepare yourself for another tangent. Is that Bart Simpson's skull tattooed on your bicep? <laughs> yeah, I've got a whole lot of Simpson tattoos. Actually, I'm a big Simpson. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> are you one of the believers that the Simpsons has like a, a, a time walker on the cast because they keep predicting the future? 
there is some freaky situations that they've predicted. I mean, I'll be honest. It's like, you, you can get lucky, but I mean, yeah, it's just, you can, you can name one after the other. It's mind blowing. There's it's, a whole website cool. of the times that the Simpsons have predicted the future. It's pretty insane. I've got a cool story about, you know, I, I, many years in LA, you know, you obviously can't pay your rent as just a musician. So I was a bartender for many years too. And I actually met some of the Simpsons writers who saw one day I was working on a donut tattoo on my arm up here. And, uh, oh my and a couple God. writers like, giant that's amazing. Are you a, you know, you're a Simpson? Yeah, he's like, are you a Simpsons fan? It's like, I'll draw like a, a sleeve for you. You want to take a tour of the studio, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Ended up not going through. Uh, I tried to invite my brother along. I don't think they like me trying to bring more people to the studio, basically. But uh, <laughs> anyways, kind of kept in touch with the guys. Uh, we were kind of known as a hipster bar where I was working at the time. There was actually an episode that came out about a year later with a hipster character. And he had the exact same pink donut tattooed on the same spot on his arm. So I'd like to think it was a little tip of the hat they gave me. Uh, and uh, I've also got like a drawing guy drew me as a bartender like 10 years ago. And that was something I framed and put on my wall, too. So it's just, you know, growing up a Simpsons fan, it's cool to kind of meet people that have worked behind the scenes and done some mixing on the show and stuff like that. So it's always pretty What episode was it? What season and episode do you remember? Because people are going to want to go and try and find it now. I mean, the guy looked nothing like me. He was actually a bald guy, but he was dubbed a hipster. Uh, it was probably one of the newer episodes, I would say, five seasons ago or something like that. Yeah, five, six seasons ago. That's but, yeah, I just yeah, yeah, it was pretty wild. I mean, maybe maybe it was completely a coincidence. It has nothing to do with me, but I'd like to think it has something to do with me uh, just kind of screwing with the writers every once in a while, but yeah. Your story when it comes to rock and roll and kind of how you got here is a story that literally is lived out in Guns N' Roses videos. Like, Nikki Six is getting ready to come out with a new book about what it was like to come from Idaho and go to L.A. and put a band together and struggle you growing yeah. up in Montana and going with your friends and moving to LA, what was that like? And what year was it? Let's see. I moved to LA. It's been like 12 years now. It's crazy. Um, so, you know, I graduated high school in what, 2006. So I, I just kind of got out of high school and just toured and, uh, you know, just booked my own tours. I did like one full US. This was like, like a seven or eight weeker. And then it was always kind of like booking tours around hitting LA. So it was always, you know, as a Montana, it was like you you book your whole tour around an L.A. show. You know, you try to play the Whiskey or the Roxy or the House of Blues or Key Club back in the day. And it was like, yeah, you book your whole tour around it. And that was always the goal for me and my friends growing up. It was we knew we couldn't stay in Montana if we want to make you know a career out of it. So uh, just, yeah, just packed up and moved everything down to L.A. I luckily had, a, you know, one of my best friends, Tim, who's in the in the band now, was living here and kind of. You know, I moved right down the street kind of from where he was. So he showed me the ropes and, you know, it was a little overwhelming at first, obviously. But, uh, yeah, I mean, best decision I ever made. I mean, look how many people I've met. And I met so many great producers and musicians. And, you know, I was honestly introduced to Andrew and Liz, you know, our guitarist and bassist, uh, just through writing sessions. I wasn't, you know, ever going to be a band. We did so many different genres before we actually went back to, you know, all good things and what that became it was just I knew them as producers and just friends of mine through that so the idea of us being in a band together so many years later is just kind of mind-blowing we're at this stage it's just crazy uh um you know they actually were at a house of blues show watching my old band and that's kind of how we kind of introduced well, I was introduced to those two and started working together so it's just been a crazy road and uh yeah definitely overwhelming and, and going to all the shows I'd, I'd love to go to some music and concerts and as much as I can obviously the last year and a half I haven't seen a lot but uh in the beginning I was trying to go to just shows every week and i mean i remember see, seeing steven tyler driving down sunset going to a show one time and it's just like you know seeing that stuff in real life it's just kind of a you know you realize that's why you moved here and that's you know what you're here for so uh yeah it's been 12 years and it's flown by i can't believe it it's actually freaking for me to say that but uh yeah i guess uh it's take people always say it takes a good decade in la to figure out if uh you know what if you're gonna make it or not or uh what exactly you want to do here Growing up on the East Coast, every time I go to the West Coast, I feel like I'm on an alien planet. Yeah, I know. I feel the same way when I go out there, to be honest. I've just been such a West Coast guy my whole life. You know, <laughs> like, uh, it's so humid and everything out there. I used to go out there to New York. I had family out there. So growing up, I get, you know, every few years I get to travel out and go to New York, go to Electric Lady Studios. Was, you know, my aunt and uncle worked there and ran it for a while. So it was like, you know, kind of uh, originally thought I'd moved to New York before L.A. I just... Uh, L.A. happened to be closer to Montana, so that's why I chose it, to be honest. Don't gloss over what your aunt and uncle did, because 
anybody that is that works in music knows what that studio is. But to anybody that's listening that might not know how important that studio was to the the history of not just rock but music in general. So can you talk yeah. about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, that was really my introduction to, you know, the world of professional music and recording. I, you know, I was lucky enough to um, grow up with my aunt and uncle are both from Montana, too. They moved out to New York. She started as like, a, you know, a janitor, basically mopping floors, worked her way up to management. And, um, you know, by the time I was, uh, I guess I probably went out there at 10, 12, 13 years old or whatever. And it was awesome, man. I had this such a cool experience being able to go into, you know, not really into studio sessions, but I get to tour and get to see the boards and see the rooms and stuff like that. And, uh, definitely got to meet a few celebrities here and there. And then, um, you know, as I grew up, you know, I was so lucky to have someone in the industry. I was, like I said, my high school band, we got to record a album in Hoboken, New Jersey. She set up like a showcase for me at like Sony. I was like, you know, Green Day recorded there the day before and Beyonce was next door. And I was doing the showcase for like eight labels at the time, which for me, you know, as a high school kid, it was the most nervous thing I'd you know I, it was so bad I actually stepped on my guitar cable and unplugged it and it's like the, I regretted it so bad I was just I wanted to kill myself over it like the most important moment of my life and I'm in high school with zero confidence I step on my freaking guitar cable and I didn't wrap it through my strap like I've always done so I you know I was kicking myself for years over that thing but you know looking back at it now it was such a crazy opportunity and we were all so young and and so not ready for that, you know, but just having that experience and being able to learn from it was just, um, you know, just made, made you more driven and made you realize like what you did wrong and what you need to do and how you can grow and be better. And, you know, I look back at it. It's like, I can't believe people even wasted their time going to that <laughs> showcase. I was the worst singer ever. We were terrible, but you know, I just so grateful for those experiences and being able to, uh, you know, get my eyes open to the world of, uh, you know, behind the scenes and being a rock star and meeting people like Sebastian Bach and, I always love this band Warrior Soul who would go out there and jam with him. And so, yeah, you know, it was awesome. It was my, really my introduction to music. Usually very successful people say that you learn more from your failures than you do from your successes. So, Oh, 100%. I bet I think you'll that's... never not plug in your guitar right ever again. Oh, yeah, damn right. I mean, that was like the biggest lesson ever learned. <laughs> you know, I, I epoxied every guitar strap on, you know, like it was... That was so embarrassing. I, yeah, I just, I still have videos of that somewhere buried. Uh, you know, I, I can't even pull it out though. I cringe so hard. It's terrible for me to look back at, uh, at all that stuff, but no, going back, you really, you learn from mistakes and that's taught me to be a better singer. Like, uh, you know, I've recorded, it's, it's funny. I actually self-record pretty much every vocal I've done, except for all good things I do with Andrew and Liz. Liz is an incredible vocal producer. So it's a lot of times I just like to be able to bounce back. Like, just the way syllables sound or the way I'm singing a word or however, you know, stuff might flow. She's got great uh, input on that, but otherwise I'm generally editing on my own vocal. And when you're doing all that, you kind of realize, you know, where you suck and like where you're pitchy and, and what you're strong at and what you're not good at. And I think over the years, it was like, my voice didn't double well with itself. And you kind of like learn to shape your voice and, and it's just a learning experience. You know, not everything you record sounds great. And it was just, you know, I've recorded a lot of music over the years. And I think I finally got to the point where I'm comfortable you know, turning songs around and people seem to like the way it sounds, but it definitely took a lot of years and a lot of like mistakes and learning to get there. Yeah. When you, when you do something like that for a living, like with myself, like you have to get used to listening to yourself and to, yeah, and to not want to just punch yourself in the face because it can be so annoying because you're critiquing yourself in such a more minute way than anyone else would. Oh man. I mean, I'm the worst at that too. Like, honestly, like, I mean, that's why I do so many takes when I record myself. I just never think I'm good enough. So I'm just fucking, I'm throwing down 20 something takes. And by the end, <laughs> I, by the time I'm editing it, I'm like, why did I do this? They all sound the exact same. Dude. Like, <laughs> what the hell is you like? And then I'm just miserable because I'm sitting there going through all these 20 takes. Like, dude, they all sound the same. But in my head, I'm like, you're never good enough. Um, but yeah, I'm just, you know, like I said, this band's just getting to this point where I'm doing interviews with you. Thank you so much for having me on. But I watch back interviews. And I'm not used to my voice talking as much as I am singing. So I probably won't watch this back for the same reason as I'll be cringing the whole way through. And I, I hate listening to the sound of my voice, too. So It amazes me. I mean, I've been working in radio for 30 years now. And it amazes me that bands can go up in front of tens of thousands of people and sing, perform, play, whatever, but you get them in front of an interview microphone yeah. and it's a completely different thing altogether. 
Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's just funny, you know, I'm just doing a lot of these interviews and my mind is just so all over the place. I'm so ADD. I'm bouncing around. I'm, you know, <laughs> sometimes I'll just completely lose my train of thought. It's hilarious. But well, don't worry uh, about know, this. Find... We're not very professional here, so don't worry <laughs> no, about it. I love it. it. Uh, I love it. But yeah, I mean, the same way on stage, too. I think it's just, you know, like you said, musicians are uh, comfortable in their own environment. And if you grew up playing a lot of shows like, you, you know, you're more confident and comfortable on stage. That's where I feel the most comfortable, honestly, like. You can be stumbling all over your words, you know, meeting people at a show and fans and stuff. You get on stage and you just have the automatic adrenaline and the confidence and, you know, and the music you've done and everything. So that being said, man, I'm just so excited that we finally have some uh, some shows booked and we're finally hitting the road here. And uh, I guess a month, almost exactly a month, we'll be going on the road. So been uh, gearing up to play for, you know, years, really. Right before the pandemic, we had a bunch of shows canceled. And um yeah, it's just been kind of waiting around, finish the album, and just can't wait to hit the road and start playing some shows. It's amazing the world that was supposed to be. Like, yeah. all, all of the awesome stuff that was supposed to happen that just didn't. I know, I know. And everyone's had a rough uh, a rough couple years, but I think it'll be that much better when we bounce back from it. And, you know, everyone's together at these shows. And, you know, some of these festivals, I'm just looking forward to so much just to be around, you know, so many epic bands and epic lineups and uh just soaking that in and, and just watching all these rad bands that I've never actually had a chance to see live. So um, I'm just as excited to go to as many shows as I am to play all these shows. It's going to be epic. And uh, yeah, just uh, be going out with POD, a band that I've you know been listening to since high school. It's just uh, such a cool thing. A part of their 20th anniversary satellite tour. Um, and such yeah, an just what a cool album. epic first tour for us. What, yeah. What an epic album and, you know, something I grew up on and it's just such a, you know, nostalgic thing for me too. So, you know, you told me 20 years ago I'd be hitting the road with POD. I never believe it. So it's just an awesome uh, position to be in, and uh, very grateful, man. I'm just so grateful that our our songs being well received. Um, you know, Hollywood Undead jumping on it was awesome, and uh, yeah, we're in a great position. And just you know, all we've ever wanted to do is you know hit the road and play these shows. It just didn't seem like the dream was uh, possible, but we've kind of magically got to this point, and and uh, just yeah, it's un it's unreal. It just doesn't feel real. You know, we're all still sitting around, kind of waiting to waiting to go. So. Looking forward to it. Everybody that I know in bands and, and crew guys, too, sound engineers, lighting engineers, that have already played shows have said the crowds are out of control. They are louder than they've ever been. The people are rowdier because they've just been chomping at the bit waiting to go to a concert. Yeah, I bet. I mean, I, I can't imagine. You know, I haven't really seen a show yet since. California is kind of slowly getting back into it. I know they're doing some stuff here and there. Um, but yeah, yeah, the most I've seen is like a one-man band at a, at a at a place. But I just can't wait. That's why I'm so excited. It feels like, you know, uh, this tour is just opening the gates and we're just kind of, you know, it's everything we've been waiting for with this album that we put all this work into. And it's finally dropping right around the time we're hitting the road. Or, you know, a new single coming out and just being able to see live music every night is just going to be such a refreshing thing. You know, we've been cooped up alone at home for so long. It's, you know, we're all going a little crazy, a little stir crazy out here. And uh, yeah, just can't wait to be on the road and be, Listening to music every night, man. POD every night. It's going to be a lot of fun. What did you do during the lockdown that maybe you never had the time or interest in doing? Did you pick up any new hobbies or habits now? Yeah, you know, I actually had to move in the middle of uh, the oh. pandemic, which was kind of, you know, it, it sounded crappy at first, but honestly, it was the best timing because, you know, I just had so much accumulated crap over 10 years in L.A. and having different roommates leaving stuff behind. And, and you know, it it. it, it I needed that time. I think, you know, if I was on the road and I had to move all my crap in my studio, it would have just been a nightmare. So uh, I'm kind of grateful. I did have a little reset there and I was able to, you know, kind of get myself set up in a new spot and didn't feel totally rushed being on tour. But um, yeah, other than that, what did I do? Let's see, I, you know, I bought some, uh, I bought some rollerblades because uh, I play hockey. I couldn't play hockey anymore because the ring shut down. So me and my buddies bought some rollerblades. I was fun. Um, I started making like lamps out of old microphones and shit. Just like, you know, I don't know. I try to get crafty, just building weird stuff. I get bored and, you know, um, yeah, I, uh, I got a pinball machine a while back. So Ooh. I, uh, it's actually Simpsons pinball machine, of which course. is super fun. So I actually learned how to like, like rewire it. I made a bunch of like cool little mods and shit. And I like, I changed all the bulbs out to LEDs and stuff. So I got really nerdy with my pinball machine for a few months there. Um, but yeah, just, just geeking out, you know, playing some games i did a lot of gaming so you know i think like everyone it was a lot of gaming i watched a lot of live streams too what did you find that one of your roommates left behind when you moved all your shit out of there good lord i mean like 
just like 30 hockey sticks. I just, we had a whole hockey shooting range thing in our backyard that ended up, <laughs> I had to take down all these boards and plexiglass and nets. And it was just like, oh man, so much accumulated crap. And I mean, just gear. I lived with hockey players. So it was just stinky, smelly, spider covered gear in the backyard. And yeah, that house was a, a nightmare. I'm just so glad I'm out of that thing. It was like the money pit. It was just falling apart. Everything in that house was like, you know, yeah. It's like running in LA. You run a piece of crap and they charge you like five grand a month for it. You're wondering what you're, what you're doing here. It's hilarious. I know you're a big LA Kings fan. Hell yeah. And I have a friend that is from here, the East Coast, that actually works for the Kings. And when they won the cup, he got to take it home for the day and it let me drink out of it. And it's no way. Like, oh yeah. Champagne tastes better out of the Stanley Cup. And I know as hockey players, yes. you're not supposed to touch it. Cause it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I'm never going to play in the NHL. Totally. So it's not going to cost it. me winning the cup ever. Totally. I actually got the chance to, uh, that's epic. I never got to drink out of the cup, but, um, you know, it, it was awesome. It was one of those LA things where I was like, uh, just randomly up the street and my buddy texted me, Hey, the Stanley cups at the bar down the street. I think it was like a local peasant or something like that. And it's like, what are you talking about, man? He's like, yeah, one of the girls from parks and recreation is here with the Stanley cup. Okay, I'm going to go down and check it out. And I walk in, I go to the back room, and it was just a Stanley Cup, like just right in front. It was amazing. So I got to take pictures with it. But like like you said, I didn't touch it because I was so like, yeah. I felt like, you know, I was undeserving. You know, I was like, if I touch, you know, it just was a thing. It's a superstition thing. It's but a just being able to. Thing for hockey players. And, and I took a yeah. lot of crap when people saw me with it and they're like, you're not <laughs> sure. supposed to touch it. I'm like, I'm not a fucking hockey player. It doesn't matter. <laughs> People would love to grill you for that, I'm sure. That's hilarious. Vinny um, Paul threw it off the roof of his house <laughs> and had strippers riding on it, floating in the pool when the stars won it. I'm not doing anything by sipping champagne out of it. Give me a break. Oh, man. It's so sick. Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah, maybe you should have stepped it up a notch and got some strippers, thrown it off a rooftop or something. That's, I, I know. but It's pretty epic. But the cup dude was there. Cause there's a dude. That, yeah. That there's always a dude. It. There's the always a dude. The cup. Yeah. He's yeah. got the gloves on and whatever. And totally. I, I think that, you know, maybe things over the years have gotten a little crazy. So we didn't want to do, I don't want to get my friend in trouble. Cause he's got a good gig with the Kings. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it was like, okay, we don't want to get the cup dude in trouble, especially with social media. Now it's like, what happened? Those stories with the cup 10, 20, 30 years ago. Oh yeah. They got away with a lot more stuff than now. It'll exactly. just end up on TikTok in five seconds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It'll go viral real quick and then yeah, you're screwed. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, the Stanley Cup is just such a crazy thing. I, I feel like the most starstruck I've been in LA was just being in that room staring at that thing. I was just like, ah, you know, just, it was just weird to just see that in person. You know, well, there's nobody things, but, in uh, LA that's cooler than the Stanley Cup. Oh, it's true. It's very there's true. Nobody. You know, I'm actually, I've always kicked myself. My buddy was actually in town from Montana the, the night. That the, the Kings won in 2014, that game five against the Rangers. They won the freaking cup in LA. And I could have gone to that game. My buddy tried to talk me into it. He's like, come on, man, I'm on vacation. It's only like $900. You know, at the time, I, didn't, I don't have any money. I was like, 900 bucks, dude, you gotta be, you know, kidding me. And I honestly went out to a bar. I saw him win the cup. It was one of the funnest nights of all time. So I can't say I, I regret doing that. But um, man, you look back and you're like, oof, that's something you might never see in person again, you know, your entire lifetime. So I've definitely been kicking myself for not going to that game and not spending a crap load of money. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> you know, looking back, it's like, damn it, I should have done that, you know. There but are those, th those times, I mean, if you grow up a sports fan, especially a passionate sports fan, like in a city like Boston, right? Like you remember yeah. where you were when the Sox broke the curse of the Bambino, like that first Vinatieri yeah. field goal to win the Super Bowl, like watching Zdeno Chara hoist the cup taller than it's ever been hoisted over the ice. Like, yeah, for real. These are things you just don't forget. Yeah, totally. And just to be there in person and soak in that atmosphere of the crowd going crazier than they've ever been. is just like, you know, something I'll always kick myself for not being a part of that. But, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, over the years, you'll see a lot more epic stuff. I mean, just being a part of the Stanley Cup playoffs this year, like they, they licensed our song for the glory for the playoff run. And, and I mean, that was just so mind blowing. Like you said, if you grew up a sports fan and then this many years later, you hear your music in a playoff game. And it's just uh, not only a playoff game, but like with 
with footage of, you know, these teams winning the cup in their history. And it's just like this NHL, you know, montage is like cool historic moments with the cup and our songs like playing, I'm, you know, I'm singing over it and it's like spliced in with all the cool narration. And it's just, you know, mind blowing to me. It was honestly just the coolest sink or placement I've ever had in my life. I don't know if I can ever top that to be <laughs> honest. I feel like I may have peaked as a human uh, during the playoffs this year, but uh, yeah, just such a cool experience. And like you said, as a sports fan growing up and a musician, you know, kind of seeing those two worlds collide is just so unexpected and just such a dream come true. It's just, you know, unbelievable. I uh, I got to see the Patriots win the Super Bowl while I was at the game. Oh, no way. And Paul McCartney, yeah. Paul McCartney was the halftime show. So I got to see a fucking Beatle and the Pats win the Super Bowl. And I was like, <laughs> am I going to get hit You're by so lightning? Spoiled. Like, did I just, no shit. is this over now? <laughs> did I just peak? This is it. That's epic. It doesn't get yeah, any I better mean, than that. It really doesn't. Yeah, I don't know if you can ever top that one. That's pretty sick. Um, I want to ask you, I, I, I ask a lot of the people that I talk to on the show to get a little nerdy with me on some stuff because as music fans, we hear a lot of things, a lot of terms, a lot of whatever, and we might not know not only what they mean but also how it works. And you guys put the band together, like what you were talking about, to license songs to like television and film and video games and that kind of stuff and how the NHL picks up your song and has it on during the playoffs. The sync licensing part of music when you're an artist is something that doesn't get talked about a lot. And I remember back in the day when when Zeppelin was in a Cadillac commercial, people went batshit crazy. Zeppelin sold out and uh. yeah. Now it's become such an accepted part of music that can you just talk about the process for an artist to like submit music to these kinds of projects and like what the band was doing before you guys to decided to be a band that was going to record a record and go out on tour, like the sync licensing part of it. Yeah. I mean that the sync side of things was so confusing to me in the beginning. I didn't understand it. You know, I came from a band that did the DIY touring thing and it was what you wrote came from the heart and you know, not saying it doesn't, but the idea of, um, you know, writing for a specific sound or like, um, you know, they're never saying like, Hey, this is what you got to write this, but they'll give you a, a direction, you know? And if I've got to do something that's more folky than I've ever done or more pop than I've ever done or electronic, it was just kind of, uh, at the beginning, I'm like, dude, this isn't my thing. I was really uncomfortable, but you know, after kind of putting my ego aside, I guess it was kind of like, dude, it's just exercising that writing muscle and, and, and getting better, not only as a singer, trying different genres and, and experimenting with different you know, just softer voice and like, you know, not just yelling all the time. I did just trying to do different stuff and working with different producers. It was such a cool learning experience. So in the beginning, I was actually just getting hired to, to sing for other people's songs. You know, a lot of times they didn't think I could write. So a lot of times I'd be, you know, throw me a couple hundred bucks. And I'd sing your song and, you know, be in and out. And when I just moved to LA, I was like, holy crap, that's the easiest money I've ever made. You know, I just pop in, <laughs> pop out, a sing a song I've never done before. Yeah, but it was such a new thing, but I was like, I could do this forever. But then you know, you realize, you know, you really want to be a writer and get a cut of the song and a percentage of the song. So luckily I got enough people convinced of my writing abilities. They're like letting me kind of join in on these sessions. And that's kind of how I've met people like Andrew and Liz. And just to be a part of these sessions where they're nice enough to bring me in and say, you know, let's most people in LA are so cool that I've worked with where if you're in a room with someone, it's just kind of like, and the song comes together it doesn't, you know, there's never a fight over the percentage of what anyone owns. It's just, it, it's just like, whoever's in the room, we're going to split it because the song wouldn't be the same if you weren't there. So, you know, it's just over the years writing these songs and, and luckily having the outlet of extreme music, which is the company we work for. They, they're the amazing company that's, that's synced all of our music and got these placements and got on commercial and TV. Um, you know, so grateful for them because they're the reason they basically take our finished product and go out and get it synced all over the world. And we're lucky enough to you know, we don't know where it ends up until people usually on YouTube or people Shazam it and they find their way through us through to us through, you know, Spotify or usually it's YouTube and YouTube messages and stuff. But um, yeah, I mean, honestly, that whole world to me was just so foreign and weird. And um, it just was so cool when we were finally asked to do like, like, hey, do some really hard epic rock kind of stuff. And we're like, hell yeah, that's right up our alley. And, uh, you know, when you get the opportunity to do music you love, you know, for licensing, 
I think it just kind of clicked and, and we had the great idea of like matching the visuals to some movies and making it a very visual sound. And, and I think it just clicked with people and it just translated well. And luckily what we really liked doing became our most successful sinks and most successful stuff in the library. And um, yeah, then we kind of transitioned away from that. We just realized, Hey, we, you know, we reached some people that really like this and, you know, luckily we've had that library to get us on TV and actually introduce us to all these people but now we can kind of set that aside as much as we love it and appreciate it. We are able to go to radio and go to touring and get out there on stage. And, and, you know, we really did the backwards approach. A lot of times, you know, you, you do what I did and you're sleeping on couches and in a van and uh, touring your ass off. For Hello. Hey, I lost you. So sorry. <laughs> I've never had this happen before. My phone overheated. Did it really? It was- I'm not even joking. Let me show you. I took a screen grab. Look at this shit. I've never had this happen. Temperature. It's like your iPhone needs to cool down before you can use it. I'm so sorry. I've never had that happen before. The Mistress Carrie show is so hot. It melted your phone, man. And I had the AC going and everything. I don't know what's going on with my phone. I apologize. (laughs) Don't worry about it. So the last thing that I heard you say was that, um, that you just want to go out and rock your ass off. Like that's, that's what you were saying. Yeah. I think I just kind of ended saying, you know, with the licensing thing that, that, uh, you know, coming full circle and being asked to do hard rock and stuff that really connects with people is just fucking awesome. Cause that's what we all grew up doing. Which we all, we always wanted to be in a rock band. That's, you know, what I, as a child, that's the only dream I've ever really had. So like being asked to do that genre and having it so accepted and, you know, placed and synced so much. And then, you know, seeing the Shazam numbers, like it always blows my mind when someone hears a song on like, a commercial and pulls out their phone and shazams it to find you. But apparently it happens more than you'd think. And uh, I do it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I apparently don't do it enough, but it happens. like <laughs> constantly. Uh, Yeah. I mean, it's just crazy how, how we reach people. And, and like I said, you know, we usually don't find out until they comment on our videos or send us a link to like whatever show or commercial it might be. So yeah, very cool. We're stoked to be in the position we're in. Well, it's a, it's a way for artists to make money. I mean, there's bands like ACDC where they don't even have to tour anymore because their music gets synced so much. The guys in ACDC can just kind of sit back and collect money from all of the sporting events because every time those songs get played in public, people have to pay for that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, not a lot, but uh, yeah, they do have to pay for it. Um, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. ACDC is such a great band. We were just right before I got on with you, we're, we're doing a show in Montana in my hometown in uh, about two or three weeks. And we're trying to figure out like the perfect encore. And, you know, you're always thinking ACDC is the way to go. You know, if it's a party, we're playing at a brewery. So you got to bust out the perfect party. Rock oh, song. come on. Have a drink on me or something. Exactly. You know, honestly, have a drink on me. Maybe we'll do that. Yeah. I was going, that's fucking badass. I might actually go with that because especially playing a brewery. That's, that's what like, I mean. Can't can't be better than that so that's all right, right. I, i'm gonna pitch that to the band right when i get off that's perfect nice hell yeah do you still have the first guitar that you ever got when you were a kid i do but it's in my mom's like crawl space in the <laughs> uh, yeah it was a crate electra like this crappy stratocaster ripoff um that came with like a guitar amp like a tiny little guitar amp that uh yeah, and, and a little instructional video that tells you how to play like ripoffs that smells like Teen Spirit and stuff like that. So, <laughs> yeah, I kept it around just for nostalgia, but I got rid of a few of my my earlier guitars. But I actually, yeah, I used to have a seven string back in high school that I like used to play all the time. And I, I found that in my mom's crawl space when I was home last like a few months ago. And uh, I guess maybe it was over Christmas. But uh, yeah, I pulled that thing out and I was like, man, this thing is actually pretty sweet. I might bring it back to L.A. because it's a lot of fun to jam on. Brings back some weird memories. Wrote a lot of songs on that back in the day and just kind of forgot I even had that guitar. So do you yeah, remember like to- the first song that you ever wrote? Oof. I can remember the first song we ever covered. Um, I think it was Jumper by Third Eye Blind, I think was the first one I covered, like for a dance or whatever. First either that or I remember we locked our guitarist in the basement. We we're like, hey man, you can't come out until you learn this guitar solo. <laughs> Yeah, we like went upstairs to his mom, my drummer's mom's house, and we just played video games. He's down there trying to learn this solo because we didn't want to do it. So uh, yeah, that uh, first song I ever wrote, though, man, that's hard. We always self-recorded ourselves too. Like uh, early in the days, I had like a Tascam tape recorder, and I recorded my first stuff over like, you know, I didn't have cassette blanks. So I remember one of my first recordings was over a bare naked ladies like single cassette that I had. Get the Scotch tape over those little nubs on the top of the cassette. (laughs) 
he's just like, I don't need this. I'll just record over this. And every time I get tired of something, I'll just record over it. And um, yeah, we did like a little four song EP. I think like a song called Identity was the first song I ever probably wrote and recorded myself, which is I'm sure a terrible, terrible song. But yeah. How do you realize, because you're somebody, and, and I want to ask you the specifics on this, you're someone that is self-taught and that you learn by ear. And I've I've spoken to guitar players that are classically trained in school. I've spoken to guitar players that are self-taught but can read music. How old were you when you wanted to pick up a guitar the first time? And when did you realize that you could do something not everyone could, which is to be self-taught and learn by just hearing stuff? I got my first guitar in like fifth or sixth grade. And the reason I did was because I begged my parents for it after I saw my uncle play in a band at, it was like a cover band at like a family reunion, basically at my cabin in Lincoln, Montana. And uh, (laughs) just they were playing on the deck at the cabin. He had this white Parker guitar and I just thought it was the coolest looking weirdest shaped guitar I'd ever seen. And I knew nothing about guitars, but I just, you know, that was the bug. I really needed a guitar and I just begged my mom and I actually like told my cousin, I'm like, you're going to be a drummer. Like you need to buy a drum set. We're going to start a band. And um, yeah, it was just me and my cousin uh, started our first band and then, you know, just friends growing up joined. And uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think I ever really realized I had anything special. You know, I, I think um, I just kind of realized what I was bad at and what I needed to get better at. You know, I think in the beginning, I couldn't even I honestly would remember listening to a band like like Creed, who was huge at the time. And I was such a bad singer. I couldn't I couldn't pick out what octave he was even singing. on. I didn't know what an octave was because no one taught me what an octave was. So like. You know, it, it was just those learning experiences and just squeaking my way through my crappy first bands and trying to, you know, uh, uh, learn. And, you know, it kind of came to a point where we'd split singing off between our members. And slowly I just took over 60 percent, 70 percent. And then I became the singer. And I, I always wanted to be a guitarist and not a singer. So, um, well, if you're going to be a guitar player, Mark Tremonti is not a bad guitar player to try and rip off. Oh, dude, I loved Mark Germani so much growing up. Yeah, he was a big influence. And uh, we actually got a, one of the festival shows, I think, is with Germani, which will be awesome. But um, yeah, uh, I don't know if I ever necessarily realized I had something special, but I think it was just my stubbornness of not wanting to, you know, I wish I knew all the theory and I wish I knew all that. I know a little bit, like bare minimum, but Miles is, Miles is a lot like me where we're, we're patterns and patterns and shapes kind of people. We're visual learners. And uh, yeah, I've always just had, you know, just, being able to hear it before I can play it kind of, you know what I mean? And, um, well, what yeah. do you see though? Like I, I, I can you explain, I have no musical ability. Okay. It got left behind in the marching band with my clarinet years ago, but when you hear something, how does your, do you, do you see anything? Is it associated with visuals? How, how does it go from you hearing something, a song to you being able to, to, to play it yourself? Like what is yeah. what happens going through your brain? It's so weird. It almost feels like and it, it might be cliche at this point. Everyone says it, but like you just feel like you're pulling it from the sky. Like it just falls to you. Like you almost like a lot of times a melody or a word will just hit me. I'm like, yep, that fits perfect. That's great. That's what it needed to be. I don't think it's necessarily like a visual, but it depends on the song, you know, like a lot of times we'll write to visuals, we'll write with a movie in the background. And a lot of times if that song doesn't work with a movie and doesn't work with a visual, it's not really the vibe, you know, or it's not the vibe for that song. And yeah, every song is so different. So it just depends. But a lot of times I'll start with, um, you know, start with music or a melody or it'll start with Andrew tinking around on a keyboard and coming up with a cool sound. And, you know, Liz just, Liz and I kind of in the background, like, dude, that's sick, but try this or maybe throw this in there or try a bend or like, you know, whatever it is, it's kind of us all just bouncing shit off each other. And, um, you know, when, when you're, when you're finally all happy with it, you realize you probably got a pretty decent finished product because we're all so picky. We always, you know, Liz and I just go back and forth on lyrics forever. We both write the lyrics. So once we're both happy with it, we kind of feel like, all right, the song's done. It's gotta be good enough. If we, uh, both struggled to the point where we're happy. Um, so yeah, I don't think anything necessarily, it's like a, it's every song's different. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I gotta go write one after I get off with you, and we'll see how it comes together. Hopefully, it all, it's one of the easier ones that just falls from the sky, and I don't have to struggle over it too much. You have good days and bad days in the studio, that's for sure. One of the one of the things, having been in in rock radio and rock music for a while, is that I've seen the amount of amazing rock music that women are writing go up yeah. so much. And I remember back in the day when I started, it was like if you had one 
band with a chick in it, it was like, okay, well, we got our one and move on. And, you know, the way you're talking about Liz and just looking at so much of the other amazing rock music that's coming out that either has female songwriters, female singers, female guitar players, it really is kind of a whole new era in rock and roll. Yeah, I love it. It's epic. And there's so many good, unique voices that are coming out, too. And um, I mean, Liz isn't really talented. Honestly, Liz is such a great singer. She could just sing for the band. You know, she could be a she could be the front woman and and crush, you know, like she um, really comes up with a lot of cool melodies that, you know, I wouldn't necessarily think of. I think, you know, we both had different backgrounds and she's very classically trained and knows how to play violin and all sorts of stuff. So, you know, it's kind of cool just having the two different minds collide and kind of see what we can come up with. And I think vice versa too. I'll throw melodies at them where they were like, Oh shit, I wouldn't have thought of that. That's kind of cool. And it's just, that's the fun, you know, part of it is just being able to go in with no expectations and come out with something we all love. And, and a lot of times too, with the way this band has kind of been shaped was, um, you know, like I said, Liz has done the vocal production for it. Usually it's just kind of me alone in my studio. So when I have her telling me, you know, this is to be more gritty or this needs to sound, sing the shit through your teeth or you're fucking hungover, you're dying right now. You know, like the way she instructs me, to, she put me in like a, a mind space, a head space where, you know, it's really helpful. And it, it, there's a lot of times where I'll sing something back and she's like, no, connect these words or fall into this and out of that or, or do what you did. You know, or there's a lot of times where I, I'll sing something, I think it sounds like absolute shit. And she's like, that's a perfect take. We got it moving on. So it's nice to have that ear on it where, I trust her too. You know, I might've thought it sounded like shit. Hey, if you got it, you got it. And I'm happy. So let's, let's move on. So there's some funny screams and takes and older, all good things stuff where I don't necessarily think I sound a, like a great singer, but you know, Hey, I think it fit the vibe and I'll, I'll, I'll trust her vocal editing. And, and uh, her well, that's something we talk about in the podcast a lot is like the role of a producer and, yeah. and how a producer can change and uh, the sound of a song, a record, a band, and, and how it is that they're able to pull stuff out of you that you didn't think of inherently. And, you know, the, the one that stuck with me was when she said, sing through your teeth, like just getting yeah. you to do something a little bit different that, that maybe you wouldn't have thought of or. Yeah, of course. And it's funny because actually like, you know, when I was doing all good things, um, you know, I'm in, the, I'm in the studio with a, like my side project. It was uh, originally a band with Sean White in the band. I was trying to, I was trying out to get the gig to be the singer and I, I just trusted Liz more than anyone. So I actually went over to their studio and had her cut the demo for me. Cause I was like, man, you just know my voice, you know how it should sound. So I had her cut the demo, ended up getting the gig. So I did that for a couple of years, you know, while I was doing all good things too, but it just shows that I, you know, she's got a great ear for it. And honestly, you know, Andrew and Liz were, they're just insanely talented producers. Like even before I heard the rock stuff they'd done, like everything they'd touched has just been a, you know, just a giant hook and just, you know, it's just, they're insane producers and everything, you know, really up to this point, other than like two songs that we've ever done has been self-produced, you know, by Andrew and us. So um, just really incredible people to be in a band with, you know, like I said, it was just, I was happy enough to be in a studio with them, like as producers, just coming up with music. I never expected to be in a touring band with, with them, which is just crazy. You know, fast forward all these years, I'm so stoked that we're doing it, but just funny how that was never where I thought we'd end up. We would end up, you know, this many years later. It's, it's insane. I know you got to get ready to go, but I started asking people this question. It's become my favorite question. And because you're literally going in to write a song as soon as you get done here, um, <laughs> it's a really hard question, but it comes from a songwriter's perspective. It doesn't matter the artist or the genre, but can you give me an example of one, two, however many you want, songs that someone else wrote that you covet, that you wish you wrote because they were that good and explain why. Oh man. Uh, yeah, I just think, I mean, right, right off the top, I, we've been trying to think of songs to play, uh, at this Montana show. It's actually, you know, we've got a pretty short set, like a 30 minute set on these POD from Ashes to New Days. So we're luckily able to do this Montana show. I think we've got like 90 minutes, so it'll be a really fun long set. We can fill in and like throw some covers in and stuff. So obviously we want to cover stuff I wish I wrote and this artist we really respect. And I obviously, I mean, I always think of Chris Cornell being one of the best of the best. And, um, you know, we're just trying to think of a, uh, if I want to go audio slave or what, but I just listened to show me how to live on the way down here and Cochise and just like, dude, his voice is just so epic. And those choruses just hit so hard. And those riffs from Tom Morello are just like, you know, you can't fucking replicate that. It's just so epic. So, I mean, the combination of those two getting together, that was such a, a huge influence for me um, growing up. 
Um, yeah, I don't know. It's hard. I, like I've got, I've got asked this question before, like, which song do you wish you wrote? And I don't know. It's just, I've always been so influenced by other people. I don't necessarily think I wish I wrote it. I just, uh, I'm grateful to have it and be able to kind of take it and, uh, be inspired by it. But I'm trying to think of another example. Um, or like an example of great songwriting and like break down the pieces of a song to show as an example of like, this is what I think great songwriting is. Yeah. I'm just, that's another thing. Like I just find, I, I, I like finding a band like 12 foot ninja that I just kind of recently discovered. And it's like, you know, when you're, you're trying to get out of the box and experimenting with different genres and like, blending different genres and just trying to get creative it's like shit that i wouldn't think of when i hear a song where i'm like oh dude i would never think to do that that's when i get really stoked i'm really inspired um so yeah i don't know i just my 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 library the reason i think i use apple music is because i have just the worst music add ever i don't remember the last time i listened to like an album start to finish i really got it so i could put my shit on shuffle and if you hear <laughs> If you could hear my library on shuffle, it's just ridiculous. It's like, you know, it'll go from the heaviest thing in the world to like James Taylor and whatever. So like it, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm so influenced by not only just rock, but I, there's a lot of great pop out there and a lot of cool electronic stuff. I was just jamming like Chromio's new live thing they put out today. I don't know. I like taking influence from all sorts of stuff. Um, but that being said, I mean, just, there's so many even artists on our label that we can just, that I could go down the list. There's just so many talented rock bands in our roster that, you know, we're just so grateful to be able to go out on tour with them and learn, learn from these bands and really kind of take it all in. And, uh, and yeah, hopefully uh, it'll inspire some new AGT shit too. We'll see. Well, I really appreciate you hanging out with me today. Sorry. I broke your phone. Hey, no, I'm sorry. I got overheated there. I had to drop <laughs> off your second. <laughs> that hasn't happened before, but I guess it's the hottest podcast I've been on. So it's good smoking thing. hot, baby. Smoking oh, hot. Love it. love it. I appreciate you having me though. You, um, uh, your tour is coming here. And hell yeah. so I'm yeah. going to, I'm going to see you when you come here. So I can't wait to meet you in person and thank you so much for coming on the show. We'll definitely hang. We'll kick it in, in person. And uh, I can't wait to finally see some live music. Again. Me too. And drop our album. Our album's probably going to be out by the time we see you. So I'll get you a copy of that too. Can't wait. Hell yeah. Are you going to print it on vinyl? Everybody's doing the vinyls. Yeah, we are. It's just, I think everyone's doing it. So it's literally back ordered through like February. You, yeah. can't, get a, you can't get your hands on a vinyl through for another well, six Well, there's only or- so many like factories that actually print them. Yeah, totally. And if you want to get like a cool, unique, color or like an etching or something it even takes a little longer and we're actually yeah. kind of trying to do a cool uh etching of the album art that i kind of put together for it so um yeah album's all done vinyl's all done we actually just approved the uh the final artwork and everything about a week ago and um yeah we're ready to go i can't wait to finally drop this i feel like we've been sitting on this album for for just so long it just it just feels to me like it's already been out and i just i can't believe these people haven't heard this this new music yet it already feels almost old to me so i just can't wait to get it out and finally show everyone what we've been working on the quote that i heard and it comes from ozzy because he's working on a record too is that the songs make him feel like a pregnant hen (laughs) (laughs) and it's the most random ozzy quote ever but i love it so much so there you go you're like a pregnant hen right now exactly about to birth all these little song babies i can't (laughs) wait it's gonna be great honestly that's the best feeling though when you finally release a song it's like it does feel like that. You're, it's your fucking baby. You're like, it's, it's out there. Like it's breathing and people are able to hear it and like respond to like how they feel about it. So I just can't wait to like finally share all this music we've been playing on live streams for over a year now and stuff. So, you know, our album should have been out a year ago, but I'm, I'm just grateful that we've got this time to kind of get lined up and go on tour and work with a label to kind of get it out and, you know, get further glory on the radio instead of just rushing it out and, uh, and everything so it's been a very long waiting game for us we've been trying really hard to be patient and really thank you to the fans that have been patient with us and waiting over the years you know since our last machines album came out so uh they've they've been sticking with us and i promise it'll all be worth it we'll be out there on the road soon and uh rocking out and i'll see you in person i can't wait for that show it's absolutely thank you so much dan have a great day thanks carrie appreciate you having me on you got it we'll talk to you soon take care There he is, Dan Murphy, the lead singer and guitar player of All Good Things. I'm still laughing about his story about his mom and Sully Erna from Godsmack. And I feel really bad that I almost killed his cell phone, although hopefully there's no long-term damage. If you want more details on the band and if you want to hear the music, check out the show notes of this podcast. There's links to find the band online, links to Dan's social media accounts, and the corresponding playlist that is filled with music from All Good Things 
and all of the other artists that we talked about in the episode. And if you liked what you heard, don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss anything from the Mistress Carrie podcast. New full-length episodes come out every Wednesday, plus every weekday you get the sit rep. All of your rock news and music headlines in less than five minutes. Huge thanks to our sponsors once again, Digital Federal Credit Union at dcu.org and Jumptown Skydiving at jumptown.com. And make sure you log on to mistresscarry.com for all things Mistress Carrie podcast, the Mistress Carrie radio show, my blog, the events calendar, and the official online Mistress Carrie store so you can get all of the cool stuff. Plus, you can join me live every Tuesday night at 8.30 Eastern on my official Facebook page for Cocktails in the War Room. The Mistress Carrie podcast, a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Right now, you can get free carpet installation from The Home Depot. So while we're putting in your new carpet, you'll have more time to take care of the lawn. Get started on dinner. Or just lay down and relax on your new carpet after it's installed. Ah. Get your free carpet installation started with The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Minimum purchase of $4.99. Exclusions apply. U.S. only. See store for details. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.